Welcome to That's What I Call Marketing. Uh, if you're watching, you can see that uh, I am in a different location again today. Today, I am at the Pendulum Summit in Dublin. And the Pendulum Summit is the leading leadership summit, uh, not just in Ireland, but globally. It's celebrating their 10th anniversary uh, this year. It's a phenomenal two-day event. And Frankie Sheen, who's the founder, former rugby player, as anyone in Ireland and, uh, would know, uh, asked me along to the event to speak to some of the speakers. So today is probably less so about marketing, but more more about lessons in leadership. And a huge theme coming out of uh, Pendulum Summit this year was around wellness and mental health and well-being. Really important topics for all of us. So we're kind of taking a slight diversion from marketing, but really incredible wealth of of knowledge shared at the summit today. So I got to speak to some of the speakers today. So um, you're going to hear short snippets uh, from the likes of Dr. John Gray, who's the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Also have running man Charlie Engel, a phenomenal guy. Wow, such energy. Uh, And I also got to speak to Dr. Brian Penny, and he is the founder of Change Is Possible. Again, another phenomenal story. Uh, Dr. Zoe Wimshurst, who is sports psychologist to the stars, uh, she's worked with uh, the Great British uh, Olympic team, with uh, hockey teams, with uh, the likes of Ronaldo. So she knows a thing or two about getting to the next level of performance. Astasiana, who is Charlie's wife, who was here, and we had a conversation. We said, oh, my God, I have to get you on this podcast. She's a phenomenal story. Uh, and I just thought it was wonderful to share that uh, with her. And also with the brilliant Niall Breslin, uh, who was sharing his views on well-being, resilience, and uh, how that applies to to our world. And like I say, some incredible lessons here for us, just as marketers, as leaders, and great opportunity to meet some uh, thought leaders. So incredible array of short interviews with these amazing, amazing thought leaders um, and just really sound people. Please do like rate, uh, subscribe and review the show. It really helps us uh, reach a whole new audience. And if you want to reach a great community of marketers, uh, get in touch with that's what I call marketing.com and see how we can help with show sponsorships and content partnerships. Today's show is supported by The Indie List, the leader in providing you with easy access to hundreds of highly experienced marketers quickly and cost-effectively. Visit theindielist.ie to speak to the Indie List team today. We have Dr. Zoe Wimshurst, and Dr. Zoe was the sports psychologist for the uh, Olympic team for GB hockey, Harlequins, British shooting, and has worked with the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, Max Verstappen, and Lando Norris, no less. What's above professor? That's the highest you can get, oh, I think. Oh, is yeah. It? Okay. Professor, professor Zoe, OBE. <laughs> well, thank you. You're just manifesting <laughs> yeah, the future. There you go. There you go. Uh, thanks for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. And I start by, how's your pendulum summit experience been? I have absolutely loved it. This is my first time at Pendulum, and I think I've learned something from all the different speakers and met so many fantastic delegates and had some interesting conversations. So I've, yeah, had a great time so far. Now, our similarities start and end with maybe a, d- a degree in psychology in that ah, I did one. Okay. But didn't do a whole lot with it. Actually, I, it took me seven years to do it. <laughs> but it got, it's still the same got degree at the, the end. Yeah, but I could have been a doctor <laughs> at that time. What was it that led you into, into that field? Was it, were you always fascinated with, with psychology? 
Um, not so much. So I played hockey to a really high level when I was young. And I remember one of the training camps I was at for England, we had a sports psychologist on the side. And I was like, oh, this looks like a great job. You just hang out, watch some sport, have a few chats with people. Sounds <laughs> ideal. So then based purely on that, I went on to study psychology. Um, and then while I was studying, I realized obviously there's a lot more to it than that. And it wasn't necessarily like the traditional counseling kind of psychology style of things I realized was not for me at that time in particular I definitely didn't have the empathy or the people skills to really be any good at it but I really loved the science and what makes people excel why are you really great on one day and really rubbish on another day your skill set hasn't changed so it's got to be down to your mentality and in elite sport what are those marginal gains that people can get to make them achieve gold medals instead of silvers. It's fascinating because you look at that and I even saw an interview recently with Rory McIlroy talking about some of his experiences mm. where he was like leading into the final day of a Masters and, and it not working out. And, yeah. you know, he said it's it's all Absolutely. up here. It's not like he's lost his skill level. No. He has the same ability on day one as he does on day four. But, you know, there's a lot of different things going on on day four than there were on day one. And it yeah. changes the way you play. So how do you, because the work you do is obviously kind of not there on the day, right? Mm. So like, how are you kind of equipping people to, in those moments? Because I I would imagine, I'm not a professional sports person by any stretch of anyone's imagination, but imagine that in in the moment, it's hard to kind of then pull back out and get yourself kind of back on on game. It really is. So the, what I specialize in is it helping them use their visual system in the best possible way. But it's really challenging because you do things in training or in the laboratory and it's all very well and good and they can do it perfectly. But then again, you throw the emotions into the mix, the stress, and it makes physical changes to the way your visual system works. Right. So we have to try and recreate that in training in whatever ways we can do. And it's never the same, but you can start to produce the similar levels of response. And so then it's not such a shock in those kind of crucial crux moments so you're making the underlying core as solid as possible so that even if that anxiety or the um the heightened emotions in the moment are still going to chip away but at least they're just kind of chipping away at the edges rather than the core. getting to the core of it how do people then i mean in the workplace is you know, i guess i mean to that it, like is a fascinating mm. it's quite like different types of pressure but can be quite in, intense and i think a lot of us can kind of maybe get chipped away at the core. Like, yes. What are things people can do without getting into, you know, doing work with, <laughs> with yourself that may not be accessible? What mm. are things, tools people can use maybe? That's a good question. I think there is a whole different range of things and I think it comes back to what is it that's chipping away at you? The answer isn't going to be the same for one person okay. as, as it is for the next person. So some people might be lacking a bit of the balance between their home life and their work and so, you know, how can they readjust that? Some of it is just you know, that they're so passionate about their work or things aren't quite going right. So, yeah, it's difficult to answer because I think it really does come down to what's going to be right for that individual. And even two people in the same scenario will react to it differently. Right. So they'd need different support or different techniques. You've had some incredible success with some amazing you know, mm. teams and, and athletes. How, I guess, how did that come about? Because, you know, you can start with the ambition to get into sports psychology, yeah. but then getting to, to the level you're at is probably... doesn't happen for everybody no and I think I've definitely just been in the right place at the right time in certain occasions and some things I still have no idea (laughs) how it's come about so um for example I guess my first 
kind of big break in the field came. So I was, when I was doing my PhD, I needed people to do my um, research on and I'm a hockey player. So I knew lots of other hockey players. So I would do a lot of my research in hockey um, and I was applying for a grant or some funding and I wanted to use the England hockey logo on what I was doing because it would make me sound like I knew what I was doing. So I sent them an email or something and someone, just you know, an office person replied saying, yeah, I'm sure it's fine. So I used it for what I wanted and didn't really think anything else of it. And then a few weeks later, I had a message from the person who was at the time the head coach of England and Great Britain men. He was like, well, we don't let just anyone use our logo. We need to see examples of your work, make sure it's up to standard. And part of me thought, I've kind of used it for what I want. Do I, <laughs> do I need do, to do that? Do, shall I just ignore this email? And then part, like I sat back and thought, no, this is a great example to, you know, share what I'm doing. And so I did. And um, the head coach called me and we had a meeting and I ended up working with that team for the next two Olympic cycles. Wow. And more than that, while I was working with them, again, I had a phone call one day and from an unknown number and I picked it up and it was Sir Clive Woodward on the other end of the phone. Wow. And to this day, I have no idea how he got my phone number, but he did. And he said, oh, I hear you're up. Bisham Abbey, working with the hockey team. I'm five minutes away. I'm going to come and meet you for coffee. Obviously, I didn't believe it was actually him. I thought it was one of my friends taking the mickey out of me. So I'm not even entirely sure how polite I was in my response. I was definitely disbelieving. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see you in five. The coffees are on you. But he was there and the coffee was there waiting. And that led to, so he then um, took over funding my PhD. I went and worked for him at the British Olympic Association in the build up to, that would be in London 2012. And I had the most amazing oh, opportunities wow. working with him. He used to take me to random meetings for all sorts of different things just to kind of experience it. And I think I was kind of his filter on what's actually scientific and what's not a lot of the time. But wow. yeah, so things like that. Yeah, I don't know how it's come about, but I guess it's about once those opportunities do come, you need to have something to back it up because yeah. I guess if I hadn't, then it would have been a coffee like, and see you later. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> That's not much good. Yeah. But also like even the... The answering the phone. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. actually taking that call with an unknown number, you know, yeah. there at the moment. Another day I'm, I might not have done yeah. and then he just, yeah, might not have called Moved back. On. You never know. Amazing. What's next? I don't know. I've got so many things I'd love to be able to do. Um, I, I just love working with athletes. Hands-on work is my favourite thing to do. I get such a buzz of being around a team and I think I'd like to do, the moment I kind of flit around, work with lots of different athletes and um, teams but I think I'd like to get back into being more steady and regular with one or okay. two particular teams. Um, I had it a lot pre-COVID and then a lot of stuff kind of fell away. And I miss that kind of being really embedded within a team and the camaraderie yeah. that comes with that. So, yeah, I think I'd, I just want to carry on doing that and see where it goes because that's what I love and just the variety of different things I get to do. It's, it is amazing and it's amazing the... You can see the impact, not mm. just your impact, you know, but but the impact on the team and and and, and all of that. And one question for you: I I done work before with the the Irish Olympic team, not through my psychology. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things we we talked a lot about the team uh, and and you know the the administration was athletes thinking about uh, high performing athletes thinking about what's next. Yes. Do you do did you work in that space and having to think about what's what's next? So not on an official level, okay. but it's something that I'm really keen right. on helping athletes with as well. So remember I worked with Harlequins Rugby Club for eight seasons and just in part of that role, so I would see certain players every week. You build up a relationship with them over time and I'd always be asking the players, you know, what is coming next? Because I work in a university as well, 
I was able to help them. So I'd be there with the rugby players, helping them write their essays. Yeah. Some of them were doing university degrees on the side. So I'm like, let me just help you out a bit with this and, you know, yeah. helping them because I wanted to make sure that they had that balance between sport and knowing yeah. what's coming next. Yeah. Because if it just comes to a career-ending injury or, you know, exactly. reti even just retirement when you know it's coming, it's one of the biggest stress causes uh, uh, yeah. and can be really, really traumatic for those people. So anything that can be done to ease that, to prepare them, I'm, yeah, all for supporting and helping that as much as possible. Yeah, the, the Irish, famous Irish boxer Bernard Dunn talks passionately about mm. that. And we did a lot of work with him. And Frankie from Pendulum is a great example of life yeah. after sport, right? Transitions exactly. as well. No matter how great your second career is after sport, it's always going to be so different from the camaraderie and the teamship that you have in sport, the shared goals and the physical activity yeah. that goes along with it. You just can't replicate that in a world outside of sport. Um, so no matter how high the highs, it's still going to be very different and it's something that you need to yeah, work on that transition. Yeah. So we thanks so much for taking time out oh. to talk to me and that's local marketing. Thank you so much for having me. Brilliant. Best of luck. Thanks. Next up, we have Niall Bresen, known in Ireland as Brezzy, frontman of the band The Blizzards. He has been on countless TV shows and he is well known for his campaigning around the issues of mental health. Thanks, Thanks really for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. Uh, how's the Pendulum Summit going for you so far? I'm good, yeah. I've enjoyed it. I got in yesterday as well. I've been here for a few days. So I have a bad back, though. I can't sit and watch anything. Oh, really? So, yeah, it's really annoying me. I like I sit down for five minutes and that big lanky lad who has to get up and make loads of minutes. So I was like, listen, just watch it from the side of the stage. Yeah. Uh, too so much running. Yeah, too much running, too much rugby, too much everything. Batter in the body, yeah. So listen, what are you, you're going to be on stage shortly. What are you, what are you going to be talking about? What's the kind of theme you're going to get across to everybody? The theme is, is slightly, you know, I look at things like words like resilience. I think they're overused and misused. And I think people are consistently looking for validation externally from themselves all the time. And like, I think we need to recognize within ourselves that, you know, we're the very definition of what resilience is. We have global pandemics. We've had, yeah. you know, cost of living crisis, recessions. There's, you know, front row seats to some absolutely horrific harrowing scenes all over the world and you know sometimes i think we just we become so driven to try and find and you know this is the mark you know marketing podcast yeah. the marketing taps into that too yeah, and, you yeah. know the, the, the wellness industry is a seven trillion dollar industry it makes a lot of sense to keep telling people they need to be more resilient it makes more sense to me as somebody who's very passionate about society and mental health to tell people that they're already strong they're doing okay there's something within them that's strong and sometimes you need to kind of cut away from the noise to hear it Sometimes you need a bit of help to find it, but there's it's within everybody. Uh, and I think that, you know, people want the top five ways to be things. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what anyone's deal. Yeah, you know? yeah. I kind of evolved my thinking on that. I, I don't I don't lecture or speak from a place of hierarchy. I, I, I haven't figured this stuff out. It's I'm constant. Just, I'm still trying to figure out where I am half the time. And I'm certainly not going to stand on stage and preach to other people how to live their lives. Um, but I will empower them to understand there's there's a strength within everybody. And that power might be different. It might be you know, you might be an insurance owner, you might just be incredibly empathetic or supportive, you might be a brilliant mother, you might be whatever it is. Everyone has something and it's about recognising what that power actually is. How can people uh, get into top five lists? <laughs> Buzzfeed article, that <laughs> Yes, But like, you know, because it is, like everything's busy and we're constantly, you know, at stuff, whether it's, you know, kids, school, whatever it is. It feels like they kind of have to take those moments to just go, like, how do you stop and kind of go, actually, 
I am doing okay because it's hard, right? I mean, I th- if it wasn't I, hard, it wouldn't be. I think a skill that we have to relearn in the modern world is rest. I think we have to reframe rest and what it is. I think if you try to rest for five seconds and you go on TikTok, you have some lad saying, I went to the gym at 2 a.m., three days work before six, and then I injected some green stuff into my balls. And <laughs> if you haven't done it, you're not hustling enough. Yeah, you're not. Yeah. That nonsense. It's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. And it's, it's, you know, one thing I've learned, I've worked with incredible people, athletes, you know, CEOs, I've worked with musicians, I've worked with people all over the world. The people who really understand success understand how to rest and how just to stop and do nothing and just eat Pringles, sit on the couch and just don't try to better yourself. Yeah. Don't read a book to better yourself. Just rest. Jeez, I should be mentors. I'm, oh, well, de- I'm dead here. But some people are great at it, <laughs> but some people class. just feel like, oh my God, I have to keep up or I'm not successful or ambitious enough and I'm not doing this. It's like, you got to understand that the brain and the body need space and time to actually, yeah. and, the, and then what happens is, when I rest and I'm really boundary with my rests, when I come back, especially creatively, there's a lot of space there, not ability to think, and, you know, you don't get stuck as much, because you've given, you've given the head space. Yeah. I think this is something that we need to promote, and it, no one's given it to you. Yeah. You, you got to really, you got to create the, and then people, well, you know. I think we convince ourselves things like, I just turn off your phone. I, I need it. I, I think you convince it. I need it for my job. I think, do you? All the time? Yeah. Convince, we convince ourselves yeah. because we're so addicted to them. So I, I, I just get really boundaried with it. I had somebody say to me once in, um, in work, this goes back a while, they were going on the holidays and they said to me, you know, look, there's an emergency, you know, give me a shout. And I said, a marketing emergency? What yeah. would that look like? <laughs> Thank you know what I mean? I'm and like, I mean, I get there are, and the thing about it is that the odd thing you might have to, yeah. you ring somebody at three, you know, eight o'clock at night. If you make it a, your business, yeah. then this is not acceptable. Yeah. And there's no, you can do all the wellness programs you want in the workplace, but yeah. if you think it's acceptable to ring your, your team at nine o'clock, ten o'clock at night, meditation ain't solving your problem. No, no, it's the, it's the behaviours. Yeah, it's behaviour. Uh, I, I want to ask you a question, maybe, I don't know if you have a, a view on it, but like I have, I see kids with phones. Look, I've got my phone and like I am checking it out and all that. But like kids with phones and constantly on them. Like I have a 30 year old daughter and last night I just said, I want to check your usage. Mm. It was three hours. Not bad. No, but I was Some like, people are, no, I yeah. didn't check mine. But, but, and I'm not going to go with her, although I did then. But I was like, it just, I worry about it. I worry about what it's doing. Like you say, it's the, it's what it they're is. seeing in terms of like, this is perfect. This is the great life that we should have and we should lead. And then it's just also experiencing everything outside of the phone. You yeah, know? but I mean, it is, I think it's what they've grown up with. So I think we need to, without being too too much assumptions, we don't know, like, yeah. yes, really. But uh, I do think it's the opportunity cost of connection and, 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 I mean, emotional connection. Yeah. Body language, the stuff that really makes humans understand the world, with body language, tone of voice, we, we, we need to keep on and hold on, holding on to that. So if kids are using it a lot, once you're putting a lot of work where there's physical kind of, you know, real life connection, yeah. if you can, you really focus on that rather than trying to take the phones off. Them. Yeah. Like, come on, let's look. Maybe the community is really important here. But I, 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 I wonder, are we just adults assuming? It definitely is causing problems. Yeah. 100%. But I think we, we, can, we can oversell those too. Uh, but sometimes I always say to people, I just don't know the answer to that. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And that's the truth. Yeah. The, the research really hasn't shown us anything yet. So my PhD research is focusing a bit on it and I'll tell you in four years, yeah. hopefully a bit more, but right now I don't have an answer for it. Yeah, I just think, listen, the one thing I do know specifically around mental health is that community is an integral part of, of emotional support structures for people. Yeah. And we've created a modern world that's putting less emphasis on community and more on individualism. 
and we ain't getting anywhere without other people. Yeah. And I think that's something I'm very passionate about is teaching people, whatever your community might be. It might yeah. be online gaming. Yeah, well, true. You know, whatever true. it is. True. But it, yeah. It's a community where you feel emotionally connected yeah. to other people. You belong. You can, you, can, you can be a human being around them. Uh, and I, it's important that we need to create space for everybody. Back to the, the really important thing is rest. And I mean, whether it's just one day, maybe it's an hour in the day, of just not trying to be better. It's just letting that everything just, and it's hard for us to do that because do something. Yeah. Try and practice it. And try and practice sitting there and watch what you want or whatever, but just don't try and engage the brain, yeah. the brain which reruns of friends. I, I find neighbours great Neighbours are great for us. It was dramatic there. Was dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting very nervous watching it, but um, no, yeah, I, I honestly, I, I think, listen to me and I say rest is really important in community. Listen, thank you. Next up is Dr. Brian Penny. Uh, Brian has talked openly about his former addiction and how that led to transforming his life and founding Change is Possible. Brian, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. Great to have you as a guest. Delighted to be here. Listen, Pendulum Summit, how's your experience been so far? God, my experience at Pendulum, it's it's just been phenomenal. A phenomenal two days, but it's like the energy, the good feelings, the good, the good spirit, the good vibes. It's just been incredible. So many great conversations and so much human connection yeah. that's what I've really felt the, over the two days I've, the, the same with me like the energy is just incredible but it's a calmness yeah. I have found yeah it's, it's just it's, it's, it's energy in a real uh, sort of flowing way just a real emotional kind of way in, in the best possible way it really was so tell me a bit about your, your talk today what was kind of key message you were getting across so the, the key message really for me is like the, the our feelings the ch- inevitable challenges of life will pull us away from our north star to where we want to be and what we have to do, we have to create a values-based framework as our guiding light, as our guidance system for light, as our true north to bring us where we want to go, to what serves us in life. Because my own personal story, I struggled with addiction for years. And it was because I felt anxious. I felt I had panic attacks and it pulled me in the wrong direction. So now I live my life with a values-based framework on relationships, connection, which I loved about today. Energy is another core one of my yeah. values. So it's just making decisions that align with that. And your um, change is possible is is is, how, is it at the organisation or it's kind of how you're kind of manifesting it? Yeah, the it's the world, company. Yeah. It's the company. I I was what the first blog I wrote was called Change is Possible. Ah, okay, here's how that was many many years ago. So I I, cre- I created my company and I call it Change is Possible, and it's really just shining a light on people to create positive change in their own lives. One of the things I thought about uh, as we were talking about kind of the calmness and the, the energy from today is how it goes out in the world. And this being a, a marketing podcast, mm. I often kind of think about. Like the role brands can play in bringing positivity and, and, and good to the world. What's what's your views on that, or do you have any? Yeah, I do. And I like um, obviously when I had my own business, marketing marketing is not something I was uh, historically interested in, yeah. to be quite honest. And I not that I seen it as a as a dirty like selling. A lot of people see yeah, sales yeah. as a dirty thing. And I remember I came across a book by Seth Godin. It was called Marketing. This is marketing, and his definition of marketing was influence and change with empathy. Right. And empathy piece is really, really important because if you're just trying to influence change to get people to buy stuff like Monster that is not nothing against Monster. Yeah, yeah. Just came to my head, but it's something that isn't gonna serve <laughs> they don't people. Sponsor the show, so we're <laughs> yeah. But something yeah. that doesn't serve people in any way. Like a lot of uh, food products out there that is making people really unhealthy. So that's not influencing change with empathy. So for me, it's looking at positive brands that are trying to make a dent in the world, trying to make a difference to people in a good, positive way. Yeah, and look, I, there's lots of them. You mentioned Monster. I was thinking Prime. You know, there's yeah. a Prime example of, of yeah. a brand. Like what got me 
uh, with that one's when they um, do you see the the gold they had in New York and London and they were you had like a day for people to try to crack the code and if they didn't I crack didn't the code they were going to melt wow. the gold and I was just like I for me there was a real arrogance yeah. to that and like you know there's people out there like struggling Starving. and yeah, yeah. and you're going to melt it I don't know what they were going to do yeah. it's probably put into a chain for themselves but like yeah. I just that that to me smacks of brands and you know that they could have maybe done something different with that and yeah. actually impacted the community because they, they yeah. support Arsenal Football Club but what do you do around that community for a million pounds yeah. anyway that's a whole different rant and, but there's a lovely thing with that as well. Charlie Engel is somebody that was speaking mm. at, um, at Pendulum. And Charlie's a great guy. I really connected with him. He has his own story of addiction as well. And he was very honest. He said he ran across the Sahara Desert. And he says, I've done it for me. I did do it for me. Yeah. And it's good for companies, let's say Monster, to make money. That's their bottom dollar. Yeah, yeah. But what can you do on the side? Yeah. With Charlie, when they ran, ran across the Sahara Desert, there the, the was a big uh, documentary. They tried to create clean water for the lands that they ran through. That was it. That was the back end of it in the yeah. end. So it's like brands just make a little bit of a difference as well. Yeah, know? I think you yeah. can. Like you can do. There, there's a role for brands again. Profit, I get yeah. it. But we can we can do some good lo- along the way. Along the way. Um, you work with organisations in kind of this area. You know, what are the things you go in and try help people do? God, this it really depends. So I, I do a lot of different things. Um, like I'd work with young kids. With I do work with kids in Overstown Prison Detention Centre. I work with a mentorship visit, group in Tala for disadvantaged kids as well. It's sort of me pro bono work. Right. But really, I do a lot of public speaking, a lot of courses, and it's really about, I'd say, it's, I do a lot of work around resilience, but it's real resilience because life is full of challenges. My life was full of challenges, yeah. but all of the growth came from the challenges. So I think of resilience as beyond resilience. It's using the challenges as the fuel for growth. So I've started to create a program of evidence-based tools and strategies to help people to elevate themselves personally and at a corporate level as well. I do a lot of work with leadership teams as well. Yeah. So that's really, in a nutshell, the gig. Yeah, it's tough because it's tough being a leader. In any, like if you're a marketing leader, any sort yeah. of leader, it, yeah. I listen to um, Susan O'Brien, who's a uh, global VP of Just Eat. Amazing brand. I love, yeah. I love their work. But, but she actually says, she goes, yeah, it's lonely. Yeah. You know, it's lonely. Yeah. You're, you're the one making the decisions. You're the one, and I'm. I, I founded my company, and I'm there. I have a co- bit of a team around me now, but it's still I'm the one making the decisions yeah. there. And for any leader, it, 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 people look to you, and there has to be one decision maker, yeah. a sole core decision maker. That's just the reality of it, and it is a lonely place to be. And if you look all the science, the more I I I explore the science of how people feel good and wellness and physical and mental health. To be quite honest, having good connection in your life, a sense of belonging, a sense of relationships, is important. And I'm not saying a leader can't have that. No, no, there's yeah. an element of loneliness within the role as well. Yeah, there was one former head of HR, and he he said to to me that he was in a WhatsApp group with all the load of other heads of HR because. Yeah. He was like going to them and going, I'm facing this problem. Like, what do we do? Because of that yeah. relationship, the community and what I actually was talking to Rezzy and he said almost the same thing. So like, what I love about things like this is when you kind of thematically hear things, you know, like it's right. Do you know what yeah, I mean? So yeah. got, it, a lot of people are saying the yeah. same thing. Yeah. There must be yeah. something in that. Yeah. Like, yeah. kid, people are like, get those asleep. Like, yeah. The eighth person to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There must be something <laughs> in it. Something <laughs> right, listen, thank you so much. Thanks for so much. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, brilliant. Thank Thanks you. So Today's show is brought to you by the Indie List CMO Collective. This service from the Indie List provides you with access to a curated range of highly experienced and talented senior marketing specialists. Visit theindielist.ie to find out more. 
Next up is Astanasia, who has an incredible story of living in the jungle uh, and her own endurance and how that uh, helps her in, in her day-to-day life. Asiana, thank you so much for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. So lovely to meet you. A pleasure. Listen, tell me about your pendulum experience. How are you finding it? I think it's been a lovely experience and everybody has been so friendly and welcoming and the speakers have been diverse. Yes, yeah. And of course, you know one of the speakers. I do know one of the speakers. Yeah. People call him Running Man, but (laughs) I call him Charlie. Yeah. Charlie Ingle is my husband. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Today's actually our 10 year anniversary. I was about to say congratulations. Great place to spend it in Ireland. So yeah, yeah, congratulations. Thank Um, you. Listen, I'm fascinated to to talk to you and hear about, about your story. You have spent quite a number of years in in jungles around yes. the world. Please tell me about this. Yeah. Well, first of all, that's my happy place. I'm <laughs> I'm never happier than when I'm immersed deeply in a jungle, away from any technology and all of that. That's my happy place. But Sorry about the microphone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of this moment. It, this is okay but yeah so i'm a conservation biologist in broad terms but my specialty is birds and um, i work on conservation projects in wild places so i specialize um, mostly in the tropics so most of my career has been in south america and that includes um, lots of projects in the amazon jungle Um, but i gotta say my favorite place is the cloud forest of ecuador that is my favorite place to work it's one of the most biodiverse um, places in all of the world and it's just spectacular Please tell me, how did that come about? How did you get into this field? I'm fascinated by people's stories. I was inspired as a teenager from National Geographic magazine, and I really wanted to work in Africa. And we call it charismatic megafauna, but that's like elephants and giraffes, you know, these big animals that are so charismatic, right? So I was inspired by those. And in university, I went to study wildlife biology and conservation. And as an upper level elective class, um, I took bird biology just as an elective. And um, we had to, in that class, memorize and learn, um, like, let's say 30 bird songs and vocalizations. Oh. Very intimidating, right? It seemed very intimidating. And um, for the rest of my class, and all very smart people that do very well, um, it was so hard. And for me, it just clicked. Like, it absolutely clicked. So me differentiating, oh, this bird is singing this song and this bird is singing this song, it just made sense. So as I went on to my career in wildlife biology, um, I started getting more and more jobs simply to survey biodiversity by listening versus seeing. And getting to the jungles, that's a very useful tool in a jungle. Because if you imagine, have you been to a jungle? No. Okay. So you know, yeah. So it's very lush very dense so you imagine standing surrounded by huge trees and there are vines and it's just you can't see very far because it's so lush and but what you hear the soundscape is miraculous you know you're hearing all manner of animals and there are more birds in the tropics than anywhere so if I were asked to stand in one spot for 10 minutes and write down every animal and every bird I saw it would actually be a fairly short list but if I stand there and I listen for 10 minutes and write down everything I hear, it's like 70% fold more wow. stuff. So I, I have this kind of, my husband calls it a superpower, yeah, yeah. but to be able to find out what species are living in an area by listening to the area. And then that tells me a lot of information about 
I know what should be there and I know what shouldn't be there. So by hearing things like the absence of a sound, even it's like, oh, there's probably something wrong with the water quality here because I'm not hearing the sound. It is a superpower. Right? Let's be honest. Because did you, like, were you musical as a child? Well, it's interesting. It wasn't, I wasn't raised um, in that way. However, yes, like my, um, my grandparents had an organ um, and I would, go to their house and sit down and just, you know, play by ear. Um, they, they did, they were, they did a lot of like classic hymns and, okay. um, you know, I would play some song I just heard in church that day or something like that. And then, um, I remember some Stevie wonder songs. I was just sitting around and, and so I, that was just a part of my youth that I never really thought about. I never thought of myself as musical. I never thought of myself as having a good ear, Yeah. but as this particular skill developed, and then also I've, I've learned a lot of tribal languages around the world because the places I work are usually indigenous people okay. and they don't speak the languages that are, and I love tribal languages, but I, my husband has pointed out to me that the music ear, and then also linguistically with people that it's probably all in the same part of my brain or it makes sense, but I never really thought about it like that. Um, I speak four languages fluently and then um, I dabble like in three other tribal languages. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. So coming out of maybe kind of the, you know, the, the jungle, and mm -hmm. like, I mean, that must be possibly intense experiences, yes. beautiful experiences. Yeah. How does that kind of, how's, the learnings from that kind of manifest in your, in your everyday life. Like, how are you, what right. are the things you're bringing into every day? Right. Um, first of all, it's it's refreshing. Um, you kind of appreciate the things you come back to more when you go away from them. Um, even turning on a light switch. <laughs> you know, it's, you think you've lived your whole life and you're used to it, but you go without it for, say, three months, and it's like a magic trick, you know? Like, oh, wow, I turned on a light. Um, but So it does make you appreciate things. But um, I do think that whenever you make yourself uncomfortable in life, which... The Amazon jungle is uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's almost always the first couple of days when you're there, you're kind of like, maybe I should leave. <laughs> you know, you're like, my clothes never dry. Everything smells. I'm uncomfortable. Um, but then there's something really rejuvenating for me to get past those first couple of days of wanting to leave. Right. And then really just being so in the moment. So I guess the lesson would most often be trying to capture that in the moment feeling that I have when I'm out there because you get home and you're so distracted by so many things. So many. And yeah. It's interesting. So Charlie is known for endurance. We, we bonded over that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had way more jungle experiences than he has. Um, he had some stories when we first met that he told me that I could tell usually impressed people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there was one hilarious one. He told me this very long story of camping in the Amazon jungle. And it just built up, it built up, it built up, and it led to him waking up in the morning and that there was a tarantula in, in his sleeping bag. But I thought it was just, I was like, and? <laughs> like, I, I wasn't being rude. I honestly didn't understand that that was the point of his story. So I was like, that's like every morning in the Amazon jungle. And so and he laughed. He's like, usually people are impressed by that story. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's brilliant. That is so <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for taking time out. Absolute pleasure. All right, take care. Next up, we have Charlie Engel, who is an ultra runner and has an just incredible story that got him of endurance in other ways of his life that got him to being the endurance athlete he is. And he's well known and profiled in the film Running the Sahara. So enjoy Charlie Engel. Charlie, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. How has your Pendulum Summit experience been? Oh, 
Man, I have to tell you, I do, happy to say that I do a lot of uh, summits, a lot of conferences, and I'm not just saying it because I'm standing here. This is, this has been my favorite event in the last couple of years, even. And, and it really boils down to the, it's a very well-run event, which is just a nice bonus, but it's more about, of course, the people. Yeah. You mentioned to me that you, you worked in kind of TV production and kind of creating stories tell me can you tell me a bit about that yeah i did i mean this is this is back in the mid 2000s uh i i got a call from a friend of mine who was a tv producer at cbs you know so one of the big ones yeah. he created a show called extreme makeover home edition which most people are aware of because at least in the u.s it was the number one show on tv for a few years and he called me and he's like charlie uh look uh, you're completely unqualified for this job. <laughs> I get that a lot. Uh, but if you don't tell anyone, you know, I'd like you to come work for me. And he, what he knew was, and it's the, it's the meshing of my endurance life to a show where you actually needed great endurance. Because it was like in 10 days, we tore down and built a massive home for a deserving family. And my job as a producer was to follow the designers on the show with a camera for 10 days like 24 hours a day. If they're awake, I'm awake. And and so he needed someone that was moderately <laughs> skilled with a camera, but that really could stay awake. That's amazing. Yeah. Where did the endurance piece come from? When you think back to, you know, at what point did you kind of become obsessed with yeah, endurance? I did, I did a lot of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it came from. You know, staying up for five or six days in my 20s was uh, a fairly common thing. And I mean, we're... You know, I do make fun of it, but I mean, I had a very, um, let's say, challenging for me and everyone around me um, yeah. decade in my 20s. And and I did. Uh, weirdly, I'm built in a way where, you know, I could just sort of get along without much sleep and, and I do have an addictive nature. And so me drinking or me doing some drugs was not a good thing. And I think the relationship is more about the fact that I learned during those years uh, how to suffer. I mean, because there was a lot of sort of suffering. So when I quit at 29 years old, when I stopped drinking and I stopped doing drugs, that sort of endurance piece was was still there. And I had been a runner in high school, and right. a pretty good runner even during my years of addiction. I would I would clean up once in a while, and like running was the thing that I would turn to to help me get healthy in the short term. Okay. And then I would kind of go back down the abyss again. Uh, you know, that's just the way the roller coaster works for people mm -hmm. when you're trying to find your way out of the hole. Uh, and, you know, the, what I liked is that with very, very long endurance sports is it's a it's sort of a thinking person's sport. It's right. not overly athletic. I mean, running wow. uh, running a marathon is which I've done a lot is a lot more athletic than running a hundred miles. I mean, a hundred miles is a mental uh, undertaking right. more than it is. I mean, it's physical. But once you get over a certain point, it's yeah. your brain right. takes over. Right. I mean, over. if your brain is is controlling you and telling you you can't do this and you're an idiot and why don't you stop. It's, it takes a lot to learn how to ignore that part of it, push the pain aside, and understand that if you take care of your body, you feed it, you drink, maybe slow down a little from time to time, like you can get through almost anything. Interesting, because I'm fascinated with the endurance piece, because not everybody can, well, sorry, you're going to make me correct, maybe everyone can do endurance, but a lot of people might go, 
I can't or it's not for me. But but what are the kind of things you say to people mm. to kind of maybe get over that mental block? I, I think that this holds true not only for endurance sports, but for your marriage, for your business, for almost every aspect of life. You know, we we loop, we get attached to outcomes. We want what's at the end of the rainbow okay. before we actually travel the path to get there. And the recognition that, especially if you're training for something hard or you're launching a new business or you're trying to start a family, these are all things that if you focus on today, if you just focus on what's going on today, you will get to tomorrow and then you'll get to the next day. But if you are sitting here today thinking about, oh my God, we have a baby due in you know, three months and then how am I ever going to raise a teenager? It's like, slow down, slow down, man, you know, because that's the way people think, you know, because yeah. you don't, you, you only have to know how to take care of a newborn. And, and it's a great way to look at your running career. You know, people are like, oh my God, I, I want to run a marathon, but I, I don't think I can do it. Well, you're not running a marathon the first day you start training. Yeah. It's just those incremental. And if you can take yourself out of that place where you're, projecting out into the future and dreading the hardship. Yeah. I think that's the other mind shift too, is hardship is part of life. Yes. We all know that. Yes. Avoiding it is uh, near impossible. Fool's yeah. end because <laughs> you're not going to. Yeah. So you can either find some suffering that you want to do yourself, which will help you uh, when the hard times, the unexpected hard times come. If you, if you've already suffered from voluntarily, yeah. Uh, then it makes it easier when the stuff comes out of the blue. And, you know, when those hard times come, you'll, you will have felt what this feels like before. And I always say that it's not about getting through a hard time. It's usually just getting through a hard moment. You know, you have a terrible argument with your spouse or partner or whatever. You, you have an argument with your boss or you have a terrible run if you're training for something. Like, we take that moment and project it out into the future as if it's always going to feel that yeah, way. Yeah. And that's not the way it works. You know, that yeah. time will pass and we just have to allow it and then get up the next day and start over again. That, it reminds me, and I actually said it to one of my sons this morning, the Richard E. Grant quote from when, you know, the actor Richard mm. Grant, when his wife passed away and before she passed away, she said to him and his daughter, in every day, find a pocket full of joy or pocket full of happiness. And I was like that because that helps you get over those moments. And um, you talked there about kind of, you know, thinking about how am I going to raise a 13 year old? And I, it made me think as well about some of our listeners and watchers who are, you know, marketing leaders and like we want to be the number one brand. Mm -hmm. And it's great to have that ambition, but being able to kind of break it down and say, but these are the steps we're going to take to get there because making something. I think having ambition is fine, but making it too big and unachievable is is hard. Well, and I think sticking to your core principles, either nice. as a business or as yourself personally. You know, if you don't have or don't think you can identify your own core principles or your company's core principles, then you need to sit down and figure that out, in my opinion. You know, it's if you don't know what you stand for, yeah. you can't possibly catch the companies that are in front of you, you know, because it's not just about who can you, you know, you might catch them in sales, you know, you might surpass them in something. But ultimately, the longevity of any company, of any marriage <laughs> is based in, you know, the quality of the relationships and and you knowing and understanding that you have certain principles and goals that you want to operate with.
Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, it's not... <laughs> So many people can attest to the fact that being number one or, you know, I know people want to strive for that, but if you focus on it rather than focusing on yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're focused on the competition, you're, you're running scared. You're, 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 you know, you're really making it much harder on yourself. Whereas the hard work is digging in and recognizing that you need to work on your own shortcomings and you know fix each one of those things along the way and naturally then the outcomes will yeah you're become, gonna get the outcomes that you want make it achievable and i time. also want to say though i have to i have to take a step back and comment people when you're trying when you think about running a marathon because a lot of people don't think they can because they think it's a time consuming yes okay if you're trying to like run a certain time or you're trying to break a record or you're trying to do something crazy okay yes maybe it's but it's not as time consuming as you think and almost anyone like i look at you right in front of me you and i could walk out the door right now i actually kid you not i guarantee you 100 percent, like a thousand pounds we could cover 26.2 miles now it would be walking and jogging and it might take us you know five hours but who cares People get caught up yeah, in thinking yeah. that anyone else cares about like your time or something. So over planning can sometimes yeah. stop people from taking the steps that they need to take to yeah. just take a chance and just try something. It's, a, it's such a good point about people caring. We talk about it all the time in this podcast for marketing people. Like nobody nobody thinks so much no. about you and your brand no. as you do. No. So get over it. Yeah. I say, it's <laughs> funny. I mean, it is my favorite thing to say on stage yeah. even is that like you think, you think other people, because I've had some hard things happen to me yeah. uh, in my life. We all have. And and we think other people are looking at us and judging us. They're looking at us for like five seconds. <laughs> yeah. And then they're moving even, on to the next even, thing. They're yeah. back to thinking about themselves <laughs> because that's what we all do. <laughs> Charlie, thanks so much yeah, for joining me. That's really why I call marketing. Yeah. Great to meet you. Thanks totally so much. Cheers. So next up from the Pendulum Summit, we have Dr. John Gray, who is workplace relationship revolutionary and the mind behind men are from Mars, women are from Venus, which has sold countless millions uh, of books worldwide. Enjoy. Dr. Gray, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. And listen, uh, welcome to Pendulum Summit. How has your Pendulum Summit experience been? It was fantastic. I got a standing ovation. Always like that. That is good. That is very impressive. But that's, the Irish audiences were incredibly warm. so welcoming. Well, they love my talk. You know, when I talk about men from Mars, women from Venus, it's so relatable to mm. so many people. And you kind of go, has this guy been following me around? Uh, one of the themes I talked about was, even in the workplace, if we want to be motivated, fulfilled in the workplace, we have to have a healthy, if we can, healthy work-life balance. Right. And when, you know, work is, can be a lot of stress. You want to create a home where you relieve that stress, and it's love that does it. And when you're relieving the stress with love, learning how to sustain that love you felt in the beginning in a marriage, then when you feel that love, or even in your personal life for people who aren't married, how you know how to get the love you need to decharge, to de-stress, to open your heart, to reawaken the motivation inside of you to help people. Yeah. When you go to work with that, then suddenly your whole work experience is different. Even when some things are boring and a drag, you feel like I'm making a difference yes, here. Yeah. That's the place where we recharge and then we express our potential in the workplace. So I focus a lot on that balance. But I also focused on just communicating in the workplace because when you come to men and women, so many times... Men think they're communicating to a woman that I really appreciate your help. Mm -hmm. How did I, without knowing before, I used to feel like I was appreciating my 
workers, the women that helped me, by not giving them any advice, by not criticizing them, by paying them well, and then one wanted to quit. Right. And I said, why do, you, why do you want to quit? And she says, well, you don't even know what I do. I don't feel appreciated. Right. But I thought by not sort of helicoptering, getting into her everything, just letting her do her thing. and saying, The freedom hey, was there. To freedom <laughs> was there. That's what I want yeah. in a job. Just yeah. let me do my thing. Don't try to improve me. Fix me. So then she said that. I said, okay, well, give me two weeks. And I took two weeks to just take five minutes more every day just to kind of know what she's doing acknowledge you know let her talk a little about some of the frustrations and disappointments some of her concerns and then she felt she had more of a relationship yeah. with me and then love coming to work again so these are little things we can do i talk about just little gestures here that men think why would i do that and one of the examples is i can give a, a concept for women and their biology is every act of love equals every other act of love big or small mm -hmm. So they don't, when it comes to love, you don't say, well, that, that gets more points, that gets less points. To a certain extent, we do feel that way, but lots of little things. So an example of that, if I give her 50 roses, biologically, her estrogen is going to take a little spike, and then we'll go down. If I give her one rose, almost the same spike is going to happen of estrogen. And when I bring in estrogen, I talked all about how our hormones are different. And for women, their stress levels go high when their estrogen levels go low. Yeah. And when you can listen to a woman, like talk for a few extra minutes showing interest. It's interesting people, I think, express those things in different ways. Do you know what I mean? You know, you have to kind of understand that and appreciate it. And no, it's be able to see through the behaviors of love. Yeah. And the same thing is what a man does to show love might be different from what a woman does to show love. Can I ask you just about the changing dynamic of the workplace? Because you mentioned something there that I find, I find interesting. is like, you know, the way you show up at work, the way you show up at home. And, you know, a lot of people now are hybrid or working from home and that disconnect between their work day and their home life it's definitely blurred like what tips I think you it's have really challenging yeah i think uh, you know you know how do you turn off one role to another role i'm a mother i'm a worker <laughs> you know i'm taking care of myself Th these are different roles but when you have a place to have one role then you can more quickly easily shift to the other how can we be there for our wives you know like today i, I talked about the secret women as you train men by asking him to do something and then being happy. Because all we want is our wives to be happy. But you train him by just asking him just for five minutes. Any man will immediately stop what he's doing yeah. for five minutes. Yeah. But you know, even if you want to talk to him, you say, oh, I like to talk, but let's just talk five minutes and you can just listen and I'll talk. Women don't know they can do that. But yeah. if you say that to a man, they go, good, I don't have to talk. <laughs> yeah. well, wonderfully, my wife does because she sent me a text, no, Ian, can we get five minutes this weekend to hang a few pictures? So That's good. That's very good. <laughs> she's so she's smart. a smarter than I am. Smarter. If you just give a time limit on a man that's five or ten minutes. And, you know, a long time ago, I didn't understand all that. My wife didn't. And what I used to do is she'd ask me to fix this light bulb or get yeah. this done or this. And it wasn't too big of a task for me to be motivated. So yeah. I would wait. I said, honey, just put it on the list. And when he gets to eight things, I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> but all she has to do now is say, it would just take five minutes. I really appreciate it. Would you do that? That's if you say the five minutes, okay, I can give you the five list, minutes. The list. Well, listen, Dr. Gray, thank you so much for stepping out, spending a few minutes with us. I could spend another hour. Oh, but we could sure go on and on. Could. Absolutely. Um, absolute pleasure to meet you. And thank you for speaking to That's What I Call Marketing. Oh, fantastic. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks to The Indie List for sponsoring today's show. Visit theindielist.ie to find out more. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show from the Pendulum Summit in Dublin. Tickets are on sale for next year's Pendulum Summit. 
Don't Wait, their early bird specials, and you will get to hear from amazing speakers like the six I got to interview today. If you enjoyed today's show, please do like, rate, subscribe, review, choose one. I'm okay with that. Uh, It really helps us reach a whole new audience of great marketers and build this amazing community of marketers. And of course, if you want to reach that great community of engaged marketers, get in touch with us at that's what I call marketing.com and see how we can work together on sponsorships or content partnerships. So until the next episode, from me, your host, Connor Byrne, thanks for listening or watching. Estrogen. I bring in estrogen. I talked all about how our hormones are different for women. Their stress levels go high when their estrogen levels go low. Yeah. And when you can listen to a woman, like talk for a few extra minutes showing interest. It's interesting people, I think, express those things in different ways. Do you know what I mean? You know, you have to kind of understand that and appreciate it. And no, it's to be able to see through the behaviors of love. Yeah. And the same thing is what a man does to show love might be different from what a woman does to show love. Can I ask you just about the changing dynamic of the workplace? Because you mentioned something there that I found, I found interesting. is like, you know, the way you show up at work the way you show up at home and you know a lot of people now are hybrid or working from home and that disconnect between their work day and their home life it's definitely blurred like what tips you have challenging yeah i think you know you know how do you turn off one role to another role i'm a mother i'm a worker you know i'm taking care of myself these are different roles but when you have a place to have one role then you can more quickly easily shift to the other how can we be there for our wives you know like today i talked about the secret women is you train men by asking them to do something and then being happy because all we want is our wives to be happy but you train them by just asking them just for five minutes any man will immediately stop what he's doing for five minutes but you know even if you want to talk to him you say i like to talk but let's just talk five minutes and you can just listen and i'll talk Women don't know they can do that. But yeah. if you say that to a man, he go, good, I don't have to talk. <laughs> yeah. well, w- wonder if my wife does because she sent me a text on the way in. Can we get five minutes this weekend to hang a few pictures? So That's, that's very good. <laughs> she, that's so she's smart. a smarter than I am. Smarter. If you just give a time limit on a man that's five or ten minutes. And, you know, a long time ago I didn't understand all that. My wife didn't. And what I used to do is she'd ask me to fix this light bulb or get yeah. this done or this. And it wasn't too big of a task for me to be motivated. Yeah. So I would wait. I said, honey, just put it on the list. And when it gets to eight things, I'll do it. Okay. (laughs) But all she has to do now is say, it would just take five minutes. I really appreciate it. Would you do that? If you say the five minutes, okay, I can give you five minutes. The list, the list. Listen, Dr. Gray, thank you so much for stepping out, spending a few minutes with us. I could spend another hour. Oh, we could go on and on. Absolutely. Um, Absolute pleasure to meet you. And thank you for speaking to That's What I Call Marketing. Fantastic. Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks to The Indie List for sponsoring today's show. Visit theindielist.ie to find out more. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show from the Pendulum Summit in Dublin. Tickets are on sale for next year's Pendulum Summit. Don't wait. They're early bird specials and you will get to hear from amazing speakers like the six I got to interview today. If you enjoyed today's show, please do like, rate, subscribe, review. Choose one. I'm okay with that. Uh, It really helps us reach a whole new audience of great marketers and build this amazing community of marketers. And of course, if you want to reach that great community of engaged marketers, get in touch with us at that's what I call marketing.com and see how we can work together on sponsorships or content partnerships. So until the next episode, from me, your host, Connor Byrne, thanks for listening or watching.